Have you been following what's been going on in Colombia right now? So, and and this is kind of poignant following up on our last episode, because there are many parts of South America I do want to talk about. This one's going to be a brief episode because things are still unfolding right now. It'll become more clear what's going to happen as time proceeds. And especially when this episode comes out, this information is going to be a little out of date. But to just give you an idea, because most people don't know what's going on at all, Colombia is run by a very neoliberal, right-leaning political group. Their response to COVID has been fairly good to this point. They they kind of instituted a UBI, which is universal basic income, for um, all the population so that they don't that feel nice. they need to go out. Yes, it is good. But now they're saying the money is due. They're proposing and trying to put into effect some changes that uh, are upsetting a lot of people. So the first one is they're raising taxes on the middle and lower class. Oh, they are also trying to privatize the medical industry. This has upset most of the middle and lower class. So they are now protesting in the streets about these changes. And just so that we're upfront about this, I, I am very much so socialist leaning. I In my ideal world is a mixed market socialist economy. Mm-hmm. So I do believe these people are justified in their outrage. But the Colombian government's response has been very severe. And you can find videos online as of Friday, I believe it's May 6th, sorry, May 7th. 19 people had died in protests. All of them have been peaceful so far. The responses have just been crazy. You can find videos online of military helicopters opening fire on protesters. Oh my God. And these are union-led protests that are out on the streets. So it is very much so a left-leaning protest. A lot of people are trying to say that these are anti-lockdown protests, and that is not the case. Just be aware this is happening in Colombia. We might do a follow-up episode on this, but... I think that would be a good one. Yeah, people are dying in the streets right now, protesting for their right to just basically live. Because the changes that are being proposed right now will not be livable for a lot of the middle to lower class. Yeah. And there are many parts of that that I would like to do episodes on. And really, if anybody does want this to become a socialist podcast, I would like to just do a split off where I can talk about those things. But I also like talking about the aliens and stuff. So we'll just keep this one to this. I do like, I just want to say, I do like covering things where you're not going to see it in any sort of mainstream media. I think it's important in educating yourself in what's going on in our world that the media isn't necessarily telling you about as well. There's important yeah. things happening, and, talking yeah. things. And I do believe there is a difference between not knowing something and being ignorant to something. Yeah. And having the choice on whether or not to learn more about something is vital but whether or not you learn that thing exists is really the key and then your response to that you can do whatever you want with that information afterwards but without knowing that thing exists you can't have your response to it i completely agree it's as simple as that with that that's why let's get this going from the unexplained to the mundane why don't you come join us on our journey to the fringe Okay, so we're moving on. Last week we put in we a couple, yeah, a couple treats. It depends. For you you might be year. just coming off Ecuador, but we'll see. Yeah, we're not sure where you're at right now, or where we're at right now. I, I um, think we need to stop worrying about the past and just go from the present yeah. to future. <laughs> we're living in the future. Because who f- 
so far into the future from what's being posted right now on the podcast, it would blow your mind. Yeah, everything is Um, penicillin resistant now. Oh, we're moving on this week to some occult episodes. I'm starting off with Elena Petrovna Blavatsky. You guys didn't ask for it, but you're getting it now. She also goes by HPB, um, which I'm probably going to be using because it's easier to say. And I covered very briefly-ish in our Mystical Island episode on Lemuria with her. That really did strike up our need to go into this a little further. Yeah, so we added her to the list and here she is now. This is going to be a little bit bit longer of an episode in itself these people live depending on actually how you look at it i guess some people will say interesting lives but long to describe lives at least yeah it was a lot to unpack here and this is going to be very simplified so i'm gonna miss out on some events in her life i'm basically sticking to what i found to be the most important to get everything wrapped around your head uh, for hpb and there's a lot more to almost everything i'm going to cover that makes it into this episode uh the- I feel like we could honestly start every episode with that disclaimer as yeah. it has we're not giving you everything we are giving yeah. you slightly better than Cole's notes if we were to yeah. give you all the information on everything we talk about in full each thing we talk about we talk about two topics per episode each topic would be about three episodes at yeah. least So we always go into further reading if you find what we're talking about interesting or you would like to pursue it further. But we know you're just here to listen to us. Because we are fabulous connoisseurs of the English language. (laughs) Sorry, you are connoisseurs of the English language. We are just purveyors of the delicious English language that you crave. (laughs) Because we put the words in the way that your ears crave. Yeah. So the people that I mentioned... The books, the scandals, the places, the events that I'm going to mention, each could go into a lot more. In order for me to fit this all into one episode, fingers crossed, I really had to edit this down to Strictly Essential. So if this interests you at all, please look into it. Or if you're interested in a certain aspect of this, let us know. Send us an email. Journey to the fringe at gmail.com. Please don't get mad at us for missing certain parts. Or saying we skimmed over other parts because we are keeping it skimmed. Not that anybody's been mad at us. You are all very lovely people. I would love to give you all hugs, but this will all be after COVID. And we are now getting international, so it will cost a bit of money to give you all hugs. (laughs) But we will do it eventually. Okay, Elena Petrovna Blavatsky. Do you know anything of her before I did the Lemuria episode? Absolutely zero about Blavatsky before that. I can't say that I did either. I had heard about her in passing a few times. I had her on one of my many tabs that I have open on my phone. I get a lot of slack for this. I have about 50 of them open on my phone. That is definitely a a thing that is genetic, at least to us. Yeah. So I have Um, one open on her so that I can revisit it at a later point and then I never revisit it. (laughs) I know that. stays open on a tab. But I I need that tab open. I am looking at tabs on my computer right now. It's about the Metal Man of Falkville, uh, the Shark Island Concentration Camp of Africa. Because these are things that I need to talk about eventually, but I haven't (laughs) read it. Yeah, I have a lot. You're going to find out that she's much more known to you than you think. So she's 
mother of the occult, which I said in the Lemuria episode. Not to be confused with the start of the occult, because that did confuse me. I was thinking yeah. both were one and the same, and well, it's not. I, I think it would be fair to say that she's the mother of neo-occult. That mm. it, is, it is a different style of occult once you get to this point in time. Not really. So just okay. so. And no, so, sorry. That That's how I understood it. So if we want, if you want to correct that, go ahead. Yeah. Let me just clarify. And then I go on to her whole kind of story. While she's not a household name that people really recognize, you do have her to thank for bringing many well-known topics to the Western world. So we're talking, have you ever talked about lost continents, advanced ancient civilizations, auras, ancient aliens, reincarnation, past lives, karma? She even paved the way for things such as yoga and Zen Buddhism to come over to North America. And that means that most of the authors that I've read and you've probably read would have never existed without Blavatsky, as well as anything to do with the so-called New Age genre um, that's that's come up as of this. The person I will be talking about next week is heavily inspired by what he called yogi meditation. Hmm. So he would have her to thank for it. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, so a little background on the occult. I just want to say she's the mother, not the start. So little background, very, very brief. Occult does go fairly far back in history, and without having an entire Occult 101 episode, here's the tiniest little rundown I could possibly give. Cult, in its broadest sense, is a category of supernatural beliefs and practices which generally fall outside the scope of religion or science. This encompasses such things as mysticism, spirituality, and magic. It comes from the Latin occultist, which is knowledge of the hidden. And can also include extrasensory perception, ESP, or parapsychology. And Blavatsky actually introduced this term into the English language. There's that language that you listen to us for in 1875. By HPB's time, spiritualism, which is different than the occult, is alive and well and picking up steam in the 1800s in Europe. And it is even in North America by the time she heads over to North America. Okay, and sorry, what we're talking about mid 1800s here you're talking about i it is making way in the 1800s because we were gonna do an episode on john d and he is like 1700s i believe and he was heavy into the occult so it, this it is has just spiritualism been so spiritualism yeah. is essentially the belief of contacting the dead through like psychic senses, I oh, guess. Yeah, the seances were big in the 1800s yes. in uh, Britain yeah. as well. We could it started more in Europe, and then it went over yeah. to North America, and yeah. that was part, that was more around the late 1800s, where seances and spiritualism were really big. And so, yeah, my next point is that spiritualism is the belief that spirits contact the living through a medium or seance. This, the first in the Western world, is said to be the Fox Sisters in the United States in 1849. So it had been around for about a decade prior to HPB's arrival in New York. And Blavatsky claimed she was not aligned with spiritualism. She didn't believe it was dead spirits contacting the living. Rather, it was elementals, spirits contacting the living. So elementals are things like elves and things okay, like so that. Okay, so she's not talking about like the previous levels of humanity. She's talking she about like other that. entities. Yeah. Okay. 
I didn't actually get into why she thought that because I don't really go into her text very much. I've more focused this episode on HPB's life. Yeah, well, and honestly, be in this position. That's the better way to go about it because these you need to understand these people's lives before you could even interpret what they're talking about. Yeah, that being said, HPB did hold seances, which I will elaborate on later. I do find she is rather full of contradictions like this. So she says she doesn't believe in spiritualism, yet she takes part in it. So just to describe HPB a little bit, she had she was the typical bohemian gypsy fortune teller look. I assume this is kind of where that originates. HPB often disguised herself as a man on her travels, and she lived a largely nomadic lifestyle for most of her life and lives with a lot of different people, just moving in with random people, moving into random places, random people. Her general appearance was described as being untidy, and she was known for wearing loose robes, many rings on her fingers, typical kind of fortune teller vibes. She was short, stout, just like the little teapot, and an overweight and forceful woman. She smoked heavily. She spoke Russian, Georgian, English, French, Italian, Arabic, and Sanskrit. And the way others described her was something, including a Masonic figure who wanted to save the world with theosophy, another exhibited quote-unquote Russian traits, an intense devotion to spiritual truth combined with profound contradictory character, another was a vivid imagination and propensity for lying, another says an archetypal charismatic leader. I find there to be with her, you're either one side or the other. People who look up to her and are followers of theosophy, which she comes to found, or people who want to claim her as a fraud. Nobody was kind of just mediocre. She is what she is. Yeah, she had a very strong personality and people either loved or hated her and wanted to prove her fraud. From here, I'm going to go back to the beginning, but I just wanted to give you kind of the rough sense of her before I went through what seems like a never-ending <laughs> timeline of things randomly no, thrown together that's, for that's the first good. little it, bit. It prepares me for my episode, so thank you yeah. for, letting, for You're welcome. letting me see how something should properly be laid Are you out. doing her too? <laughs> We should have planned this better. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So born oh, HPB, yes. No. Yeah. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> Elena Petrovna von Hahn was born in 1831 into an aristocratic Russian German family in what was then Russia and is now the Ukraine. Her mother was also Elena, had Helena too during a cholera epidemic and contracted cholera herself after Elena too was born and neither were expected to live immediately out the gates. Bam, cholera. Her mother was self-educated and an author. Her grandmother was Princess Yelena Pavlona Dalgurakeya, which that's probably not how you pronounce it at all, was self-educated. So she came from a line of strong women who were both self-educated. And by the way, her mother did survive cholera. I don't think I alluded to that at all. Um, I'm glad I was in suspense (laughs) about that. Didn't want to leave you hanging. And I do just want to add right now, a lot of these occultists I find are what we would consider today angsty rich kids. I don't... 
she's interesting and i don't know that our world is conducive to putting out another person like this any longer i'll get your thoughts on that when i'm done okay yeah no because there's there's gonna be a lot more to this i'm sure i don't know that the world is in a position that they would be you see a lot of charismatic people throughout history and not that there's no charismatic people anymore because i mean there still are but i don't find that there's really people that have the moxie like this anymore (laughs) but i don't know the way you first described her people being so polarized with her very fully reminded me of donald trump so yeah you'll see there is a long okay so are you Um, saying that there is in fact one person that reminds you of her in modern day. <laughs> I don't know. I don't okay. think so. <laughs> Let's wait until the end of the episode to talk yeah. about this. Okay. So her father was a descendant of the German von Hahn aristocratic family and a captain in the Russian Royal Horse Artillery and later rose to the rank of colonel. I just want to say the word colonel always throws me up because that's not how I no, think you should pronounce no. that word. And we spell it. I, I, it's one of the two ways. So we either spell it French and pronounce it Spanish, or we spell it Spanish and pronounce it French. I don't think in any of those languages no. you would spell, you would pronounce that word like that. No, no. In fact, the <laughs> word is spelt differently in the other language. I just, okay. I would need to look at it. But in either way, hey, English is a terrible language. How yes. the hell did it become the world standard? And I, <laughs> that might be an episode in itself. No kidding. People that learned it were smart enough to learn it and they wanted to make others suffer or something along those lines. But that's that's an episode. It very well be it. We'll move on from there. Yeah, this has nothing to do. Forget I even said anything. Yes, it has nothing colonel, to do with HPB. So <laughs> Blavatsky also had I maybe I shouldn't even be calling her that at this point because she's still Von Hahn. Uh, she also had French ancestry from a great great grandfather who was a French Protestant nobleman who fled to Russia to escape persecution serving in the court of Catherine the Great. So basically, she moves around as a kid a lot, given the background that she has a lot around Eastern Asia, Eastern Europe, and Russia due to her family's position, and says she has paranormal experiences starting early on in her life, including astral travel and a few encounters slash visions of a mysterious indian man in 1830 sorry and she would be talking about india like a person from india correct yeah okay yes, yes. i am because just i'm it, yes. at that point but in time well. they they fully refer to people from north america the like the indigenous group as indians so yeah. i just i just want to confirm that it is it is like a indian as in the continent someone from continent yes yeah in 1836, her father is posted to St. Petersburg, which Elena One takes quite a liking to, and she starts penning novels there and even decides to stay behind when the family eventually moves on from St. Petersburg. In 1838, they join back up together, so that's two years without the father. They move around some more until finally they move back to Odessa, and Elena One passes away of tuberculosis in 1842 at the age of 28. I did skip over a lot of moves in there if you want details you you're more than welcome to go get details i do always find it interesting that in this day and age everybody just named their kids one thing yeah because they're like 
You know what? Two of you are going to survive. You guys can survive with the same. They also had a lot of kids, so that just yeah. in case they have at least some survivors. Oh, yeah, the just-in-case style. I, I do, I, I am um, averse to that argument. The kids, there's now three of them, are sent to live with the maternal grandparents, and this great-grandfather mentioned previously with the French ancestry had Masonic ties, and she had said she first gained an interest in esoteric-type things and looking through his library of books. It is them that have her educated in French, art, and music, everything to make her a good wife. And it was at this time, again, she mentions having more visions of a mysterious Indian man who she said she would meet later in life. And it's also at this time that Elena Tu's family notices strange things start happening around her. So we're talking tapping on walls and stuff like that. And then in about 1846, they moved to Tiflis, Georgia, where her grandfather had been appointed director of state lands. Sorry, I do need to make this clear for everybody. Georgia, the country. Yeah. Not Georgia, the state. Her grandfather had been appointed director of state lands. Sorry, I was referring to him as the great grandfather. It's grandfather. The director of state lands. But he was pretty great. Yeah. He seems pretty great. He was like great. And then grandfather. grandfather. Being a grandfather. Yeah. Where she befriends Alexander Vladimirovich Golistin, a Russian Freemason, among other titles, and he encourages her interest into esoteric matters, and she claims at this time she has further paranormal experiences being that of astral travel and this mysterious Indian guy again. She keeps talking about him and seeing him. So let's get into the world travel. Sorry, mm-hmm. with this going on with this Indian man, she just say to this point, she just says she sees an Indian man. Yes. Doesn't she hasn't communicated with him? She hasn't learned his name. Um, she doesn't have a name. That's as far as I kind of take it. Like I said, you can look into more things. Everything I'm saying, you can kind of look into more. There's a lot of info. Yeah, I can um, believe that on this point of her life. But that's as kind of as far as I get is mysterious Indian man. So I'm assuming she doesn't have a name or much of anything. However, I believe there is communication between the two of him and whatever she's seeing because she does say she's going to meet him later in life um, and i i am curious about this just because it does come up in my episode are they religious i believe they are it didn't actually touch on it however once i got to the end it said that she did have a soft spot for russian russian orthodox russian orthodox she okay. did have a soft spot for because- it. however she's very much against Christianity and Western organized religious religions. That definitely comes up in my episode, but it's a very Mm -hmm. different play than this. Yeah, she does kind of treat it differently than other things. However, she is very much against organized religions of the Western variety in particular. Okay. So let's get into the world travels. She didn't travel around enough already. Even more travels than I've alluded to before and after this note right here. At 17, she marries a 40-year-old named Nikifor Blavatsky, who is the vice governor of the Erevan province, and it is noted that she never consummated her marriage. She almost didn't even show up to this wedding. Finally, she does. And once married, she makes several attempts to escape to go back to her family in Tiflis, which oh, Nikifor man. eventually gives in to and sends her with escorts. However, she claims that she evades 
invaded them and instead went to Constantinople, which is now Turkey. Constantinople is now Istanbul, Turkey. Istanbul. Sorry, that's what I meant to say. What did I say? Turkey? You just said Turkey. I was close. uh, I I just did want to say that the last at least thousand two thousand years of human civilization were horrible to women and this is just one byproduct of how we have treated women as a society of uh she went into a necessary marriage and was treated horribly and had to escape yeah it, it doesn't horrible. actually get into that but i mean he was 40 years old no and, and that's that whole thing she's 17 he's 40 she had to escape the relationship yeah. And she didn't consummate it despite the fact that he was 40, she was 17. Yeah. Uh, it, it could not have been a good relationship. Oh, no. To say the least. I don't think she stayed for very long. Yeah. She was out of there. And there's a whole thing if you want to get into it. I chose to completely admit it. There's a lot of podcasts even that I listen to. Even on Wikipedia, there's a lot of mention about her sexuality and stuff like that. I didn't even really want to touch on it. I don't think it really changes anything about her story at all. So I just kind of left it as I didn't really want to get into it. I don't think that it matters either way. She spends nine years traveling the world financed by I don't really know who. Um, And from here on out, Blavatsky lives quite a life and travels around the world. I'm going to put quotations around the world, strong quotations, and it's corroborated by basically no one. And she keeps no record of it whatsoever while it's happening. So like all great leaders. And we can't figure out who funded it either. Okay. Like all great leaders, myth and reality become one. You will remember in the Lemuria episode that this is sketchy as there's really no record anywhere of these worldly travels. And the thought is she just maybe went around Europe. And there's literally equal documentation for both of these being maybe she stayed around Europe. Maybe she actually did what she said she did. Maybe she stayed with a friend for a week. Yeah. And there is literal contradictions in her own stories i mean as there would probably be mine if i didn't write things down as yeah it's fair and I we, we are the best at explaining ourselves yeah as a so, family we can all attest yeah, to that yeah so that's just regular life so i don't know i would tend to believe her i guess i, I mean it makes her a good story in chelsea no yeah I keep in mind at the time all her travel is overland at this time, it would not be in a plane. This means rail, ships, and everything took a lot longer than you would be used to today if we could travel at this time. And she's also a single woman traveling. Which I heard you people in the future may not understand this, but we cannot travel right now. But we are in the past of the you're COVID. You're in a pandemic of the past. Time is a weird thing. <laughs> so these are some highlights of her journey. She saves a Hungarian opera singer named Agardi Mitrovich from being murdered in Constantinople. There are claims out there. I want to put it out there. There are some claims out here, but Mitrovich claims that him and Plavatsky get married. Some even citing Mitrovich had written to Blavatsky's family claiming they had been married. This is not proven and just kind of out there. So I mentioned this because he comes up again. I totally have no idea. I couldn't prove it one way or the other with this. So I just kind of wanted to mention it. I don't know. Others just say he's a family friend. I don't know. This does come up again. So I just wanted to put that up there. I just 
think it might be important for the thing I bring up again. Here she also meets Countess Sofia Kisilova. I'm really not good with any Eastern European names. No, I apologize. And, and sorry, just I just want to confirm. These are only collaborated on HPB's side, correct? Hmm. Like, these people don't say, and I met this crazy good seer. They may. They might. But you didn't find it in your research. There's a lot of people. Yes. Okay. I didn't necessarily go into each of these people and see. No, and, and we're just saying, like, she says she did all this. And you I'm not sure. Maybe, confirmation on maybe the they did. These are all people I'm not sure. And it's so long ago as well. Okay. No, I just so, want to make sure that I understand. Some of them do. Some of them okay. probably do, but I didn't but, really. But there's you didn't so much. find them in your research. Fair so, enough. This Countess Sofia Kisilova accompanies her on a tour of Egypt, Greece, and Eastern Europe. Then she goes to Paris and London, where she meets the mysterious Indian man from her visions of a child. And he's a Hindu whom she calls Master Moria, who where exactly in London they met is unknown, as she gives so many different accounts of where they actually met in London. Just a time out here, I want to explain before I say master again, masters and mahatmas come up a lot throughout this episode and I was so very confused about why and who she was calling masters and I found out basically at the end of my research what they were so because it caused me so much confusion I'm just gonna tell you as soon as you see it as soon as I mention it so you may have already been familiar with the term Mahatma as in Mahatma Gandhi which is a Sanskrit word which means great soul Essentially, these masters feed Blavatsky information. They're spiritual Houdinis. They guide her and give her information. There are people she actually meets in real life. And they are people who inspire her, guide her, and communicate with her telepathically. As we saw this Master Moria appearing to her early in her life. That's where I was kind of getting hung up on it because these are actual people she encounters. They are not so, otherworldly or anything. Okay, this person is confirmed to be real. No. Oh, okay. Yeah, but she does speak of them as if she has encountered them flesh and blood. Lived okay. with them, stayed with them, traveled with them. It's just one of those Blavatsky things. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Yes, so you do. There are scholars of Blavatsky's work who believe these masters noted by HPV are simply her idealizations of her mentors, which I would say after reading everything is probably a fairly good summary of these masters that she refers to. Anyhow, back to Master Moria. None the less of the shady recollection of their first meeting, he had a special mission for her to visit Tibet. So after meeting him, she moves on to Asia via the Americas. Why? We don't know because she took the most indirect way possible. She goes first to Canada, inspired to meet Native Americans in Quebec. However, describes them as being corrupt by Christian missionaries and is unimpressed. So yeah, I said that her view of cultures is actually an issue, as you couldn't have guessed by the little taste of Blavatsky I gave you in the Lemuria episode. Um, she does hold some fairly racist ideas. She then heads to New Orleans, Texas, Mexico, the Andes, and then finally hops on a cargo ship 
ship to the West Indies to Ceylon, which is Sri Lanka, then on to Bombay. She stops two years here in India, following the instructions of Master Moria, the mysterious Indian man master, and then she attempts to enter Tibet, however, is blocked by the British administration. Dejectedly, she goes back to England, but not before being in a shipwreck off the Cape of Good Hope and was one of 21 survivors. And there's no other details on this, like even how many other people were on the ship. Maybe I was, it was just going to ask you that. <laughs> I knew you would. That's why I put that. Good. Like 21 um, people. Only yeah. 21 survivors. Maybe there, there were 22. People. Yeah. Maybe there were 20. The yeah, there could have been. <laughs> That's weird. So nonetheless, here she is in London, 1854. No one knows how she got here after a shipwreck. Nonetheless, here she <laughs> here she works as a shows up. Yeah. So here she works as a concert musician for the Royal Philharmonic Society. Next, she shows up in New York, where, why, how, no idea, but continues on her world tour to Chicago, well, Salt Lake City, and San Fran. At least it wasn't a shipwreck that got her there. No, not this time. That's There gross. are other ones, though. I don't know why. Maybe oh, they're God. quite popular in the 1800s. Obviously, then on to Japan and back to India, because I Makes think sense. she just wanted to circle the globe one more time for good luck. This time, she spends time in Kashmir, Ladakh, and Burma before taking another run and jump into Tibet. And this time, apparently, she makes it in. 1856 through Kashmir. So that extra lap really paid off around the world. And she's so Kashmir would be part of India at this point, just so everybody is aware. It is kind of in between Pakistan, Tibet, and India. But at this point in time, there's no real border issue. Okay, good. That's for me to know as well. So, yeah, the the Kashmir area of uh, India, Pakistan is highly contentious. Highly contentious. I would imagine so. Pakistan doesn't exist in the 1800s, so it's not a big deal. In this, she's accompanied by a Tartar shaman, 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 just say shaman. Who thought Blavatsky, as a Russian citizen, would be able to help him. And they reached Le before getting lost and joining another traveling Tartar group where Blavatsky just returns back to Europe via Java. Question marks. I know. I have no idea. Actually, if you're looking into Blavatsky a lot more, that is a whole other story. That whole episode getting in there. However, that's just my basic summary of it because I don't have time. She spends time in France and Germany, then finally back to her family in Piscov in 1858. For sure, they can account for this as her family does say, yes, she was here at this time. And throughout these adventures, her paranormal abilities apparently grew and grew with things such as wrapping, creeping, following her around the house and furniture moving on its own volition. And so, yeah, she's here back with her family for a few years. In 1860, she travels with her sister to visit her maternal grandmother in Tiflis. This is where she meets up with Metrovich again. Remember him because I told you to, so you should. She reconciles with her husband, Nikifor, at this time in 1862 and adopts a child named Yuri who dies. Is this the guy that she kind of abandoned? Okay, yeah, the guy who was 40 when she was 17, like, okay. Husband that's not like hearsay, maybe they got married, this is yeah, actually no, the guy who was in his 40s when she was 17, okay. 
So who this child is is up for some debate. Some say it was her sisters and others say it was a child she had with Mitrovich. I could see why some people would say that because upon the child's death, Yuri was buried under Mitrovich's surname. So yeah, that's why I said make note of him. I'm not really sure what's going on there. So in 1867, she falls from a horse and was in a coma for several months with a spinal fracture. And upon waking, she claims her paranormal abilities were fully awakened. And obviously now awake, she must travel. So forward to Italy. As she do. <laughs> yes. yes. Italy, Transylvania, and Serbia, where she studies the Kabbalah. The rabbi. I'm yeah. saying so many words right now. I'm just getting even the ones I know That's okay, mixed up. Yeah. And then, so she does not like the Jewish people. However, she is quite taken with the Kabbalah. Um, yeah, but to be fair, that hmm. that is a very standard view of a European woman of her day and age. Hmm. Anti-Semitism is outside of like the 1950s onwards was the norm yeah like it is the norm we can very much so we could do an episode on how this entire like view of jewish people shaped the society we live in but i it would be very hard to do because it's very contentious mm -hmm. and it is very racist yeah i but mean yes it's, she everybody's racist at this point so don't worry about it yeah don't <laughs> we don't live in this time anymore remember yeah. that Consider just, yourself just lucky. please remember, we're not spouting that <laughs> HPB is. Yeah. And we're just telling you about HPB, and we do not espouse these views. Yeah. She's reading the Kabbalah with a rabbi. Okay, so still in 1867, she travels more around the Balkans, Hungary, and Italy, spending time in Venice, Florence, Montana. Where? Where is she getting this money? I don't know. And listen to this one. So she's in Montana where she's injured fighting for Giuseppe Garibaldi in the ba Battle of Montana. Like, I, she's where, just. Where yeah, is Montana? Italy, I guess. I believe it has to do with, and like I say, everything goes on a tangent. It has to do with Italy getting freedom from something. Oh, yeah. Italy is actually one of the newest countries in Europe. It's actually kind of really? crazy. I would have to look at it, but um, um, it was Germany a fight that I was looking at, and so why is she was yeah. there and fighting in it? Um, beyond Germany me? and Italy actually being countries and also being the forefronts of World War II is not a coincidence. They are both very new countries at that point in the world. Oh, okay. So now she receives a letter from Master Moria. I don't know if it's while she's fighting after she's injured or what. And I don't even know how he knew where to find her. She gets a letter. It's not just like telepathic. She gets a letter. I'm not even sure like where you would address that to. Anyways, he instructs her to meet him in Constantinople, where they travel through Turkey, Persia, Afghanistan, and then to India and enter Tibet through Kashmir again in 1868. So here she is back in Tibet. Here they stayed with Moria's friend slash colleague, Master Kuthumi in Shigatsi. Kuthumi taught students of the Galugpa sect of Tibetan Buddhism. And in Tibet, 
Blavatsky claimed to have been taught an ancient unknown language known as Senzar and translated ancient texts written in this language preserved by monks of a monastery. However, she was not permitted in the actual monastery. So that being the case, I'm not even sure why they would teach her this language. And well, I also just realized it wasn't listed as one of the languages she spoke in her bio when I went through that at the beginning. Kuhumi was there. He's one of the main masters in theosophy. Again, real person even though they're treating him she really treats these people as if they are spirits i don't even know how to put it it's so weird she at least in how i'm understanding this she is interacting them as if she's interacting with that spirit that she has an understanding with prior to yeah being the actual person so that's this kind one, of I at don't least know. how I understand that meeting i think with Koot Humi, it's more his relationship with moria okay or me, anyhow. So in Tibet, she claims Moria and Humi helped develop her psychic abilities, including clairvoyance, which they, the all of these, Moria and Humi had already demonstrated a propensity at this. Here, they help HPB with clairvoyance, clairaudience, telepathy, the ability to control another's consciousness, to dematerialize and rematerialize physical ob- objects, and to project their astral bodies given the appearance of being in two places at once. So she never says she was in Lhasa. However, other people claim for her that she was. Obviously, in biographies and stuff around her, other people do claim for her that she was. Her sister does write a little bit about her travels. Her sister claims that she was there. However, HPB does not. Her sister was never with her on her travels. Anyhow, she claims to have stayed in spiritual retreat in Tibet for two years until late 1870. And there are many people who rebute her claims of this, as I mentioned, when it comes to this experience in Tibet. There's a lot of people that just want to rebute her as a fraud. During the 19th century, Tibet was close to Europeans, and visitors faced problems of bandits and harsh terrains. It was not easy to get around Tibet at this time. Like anywhere i mean she's been traveling around the world getting into boat accidents yeah well and this is prior to it tibet's in a very tumultuous state at this point in the world Mm -hmm. just so you understand what's going on tibet is a entirely independent state in the 1800s and it has on each of its borders india and china who are both power hungry at this point neither of them have done anything and this is prior to mao coming into power in china so they have not shown a predisposition to wanting to take tibet and india hasn't necessarily wanted to take them either but this is tibet's in a very interesting state at this point yeah just kind of give you an idea of the uh, geopolitical theater of this part of the world. It's nice that you can add that here. And then so many critics do point out that it would have been especially hard if she was especially in the physique she had later on in, in life. Like I said, she was like a little teapot. It's postulated that perhaps Moria made it easier for her to get in or that she was mistaken as being Asian, perhaps. Also, maybe that she often traveled disguised as a man. Points for her in that her accounts of Shigatsi were unprecedented in the West. So she had gotten it pretty spot on, actually, in her descriptions of 
what it looked like. And then one scholar of Buddhism in particular suggested Blavatsky had an advanced knowledge of Mahayana Buddhism consistent with have studied in a Tibetan monastery. And if she did spend time in Tibet, she would be one of the greatest travelers of the 19th century. However, barely a word of it appears to be true, which is contradictory in itself because he does say that she has an advanced knowledge of this type of Buddhism. That doesn't necessarily mean that she knew about it. So just so that we're on the same page with a lot of these things, you can espouse ideas that, though not necessarily attached to a religion, are true. Like what you believe, they can be attached to that religion. Like if you say, I believe we should be good to one another, and also that the meek shall inherit the earth. A lot of Christians would say you're you're following exactly Christian values. Yeah. But that doesn't necessarily mean you would ever heard anything from Jesus. Yeah, true. Okay. It just it just means you're espousing what he's saying. It doesn't mean yeah. that you it came from them, if that okay. makes sense. It does. Blavatsky leaves Tibet in 1873, and she's on a mission to prove that what spiritualists are offering is objectively real and defending them against fraud. She leaves Tibet, travels through the Suez Canal to Greece, where she meets another master, Master Hilarion, and he is considered to be a saint within the I Am movement, which go Google it, I guess. I don't get into it. From Greece on to Egypt upon the SS Eumonia, which July 1871 explodes during the journey so wtf hpb is one of 16 survivors and you do not want to get on a boat with this woman no to be fair we don't know if there's more than 16 people on the boat we don't (laughs) she does survive you just want to be near her on the boat true like the black box i guess she's gonna survive so she is So, no explosion, unless she's the one, like, sinking these boats. Yeah. Hey, HPB, what you doing over there? Yeah. (laughs) The hell? I want to be near you, and very also similarly near to the But how would you even know that if you never sailed on a boat with her before? Unless she told you, hey, this reminds me of the last time I was on a boat. I mean, to be fair, (laughs) 16 people is less than 20 people. So, clearly, it could be the same people from the last boat. Just no, putting they this died. theory out there. No, yeah, no, no. You said that 21 people survived from the last boat. Oh, right. So these See, could be the exact same people. Yeah, exactly. Maybe it was a reunion. Leisure so all I'm saying is that Suez we don't even know if these are different people who didn't survive or survived this boat. We don't. We don't know that for sure. So anyway, no explosions hold HPB back and she manifests in Egypt. And that's just my embellishment here. This is me adding well, to she her got legend. There somehow. Yeah. So it's here that she meets up with Metamon, and I have no idea who that is. And that's a Emma- good question. <laughs> and Emma Cutting to establish the Societe Spirit. Please make note again, I'm going to give you a forewarning of who to make note of. 
Make note of Emma Cutting, because she makes a big reappearance later. This is based largely on spiritism founded by Alan Kardec. And unlike the mainstream movement of spiritualism at the time, spiritism professed a belief in reincarnation. She shut the society down within two weeks, believing Cutting and all other mediums employed by the society to be fraudulent. And while in Egypt, she meets another master, Serapis Bey. So it is thought that Serapis was incarnated as a high priest in one of the temples of sacred fire on Atlantis. I was trying to get my head around masters at this time, which is why I was like, who is master Serapis? Yeah. And especially when you're talking about Indian masters versus the um, Atlantic masters, that that is going to be different things. Yeah. And then it says he was incarnated as an Egyptian pharaoh, Amenhotep III, who constructed the temple of Luxor and the god Amun. That that is also the mummy from the film series The Mummy, Amenhotep. Amenhotep. Is it a fake one? No, the Amenhotep is very much so a very real pharaoh of Egypt. But um, that's how it is pronounced, Amenhotep. And I know that from the Mummy series. Okay. Hopefully they were pronouncing it right. And he was also reincarnated as Leonidas, the king of Sparta. Roman oh, king Numa. As made famous by, um, oh, what's his 300. name? 300. Yes, but what's his name in there? Gerard Butler. Gerard Butler. As made just famous watched by it. Gerard Butler. Yeah, oh, good. we just watched it, actually. So I was like, oh, I actually know who this person is. Roman king Numa Pompilius. As well as philosophers, Confucius, Plato, Plato, and Lucius. So I think they just really got carried away on this guy's life cycle of his soul. Because how would you be all these like epic people? Because he's just that great. Yeah. So these are noted by other sources other than Blavatsky. I was just like, who is this guy? And I clicked on him. Note, I didn't click on Moria. Or the other guy. She also meets up with Mitrovich at this time here, and he does die shortly after of typhoid, and she looks after the funeral. So she doesn't stick around long, and off she goes to Syria, Palestine, and Lebanon, where she has encounters with the Druze religion. 1872, she returns to her family in Odessa before departing in 1873 when she's off to Bucharest and Paris like the jet setter she is. Then Master Moria finds her again and instructs her to go to the great NYC where she arrives in 1873 and life gets much more documented for HPB from here on out. In New York, she moves into a woman's housing co-op and works at, there's various accounts of how she works here. Some say seamstress, others say flower maker, etc. to make ends meet. And she attracted attention in New York, obviously from just her demeanor at the time would have been very odd is um, she dressed as a man at this point or um she's just... dressing very bohemian like to me how she's described is as being kind well she of has a- the scarf well, over the head in many ways yeah, very bohemian yeah. just very it wasn't very i mean that's i kind of what popularized this fortune teller look was her just would have been odd really at the time and i mean she would have a thick russian accent she spoke many different languages she would just be something else to encounter okay 
So she does attract the attention of a New York journalist for the Sun paper, a New York newspaper that interviews her in which she first makes mention of her time spent in Tibet. In 1874, HPB meets Mikhail Bettinelli, and he repeatedly requests marriage, to which I guess she says yes, which I don't get because she's still married to... Blavatsky and what happened to Metrovich right he died maybe they weren't actually married but she was 100% married to Blavatsky who is very much alive and she claims they also didn't consummate the marriage so he sued her and left back to Georgia where he came from her father dies around this time and leaves her a sizable inheritance so she's able to move into a better place so I mean she's again just full of contradictions I'm not really sure what's going on 1873, she hears about William and Horatio Eddy, a.k.a. the Eddy brothers, who were mediums that claimed psychic powers and could levitate as well as manifest spiritual phenomenon. Here's another little Google you could do if you're interested in seeing any of these spiritual people who were getting attention at the time. These guys really interest her, so she seeks them out in Chittenden, Vermont. It's here in 1874 that she meets reporter Henry Steele Olcott, investigating the brothers for the Daily Graphic. Just a little DL on Olcott, he was an American military officer, journalist, and he was a lawyer. So Olcott is going around D bunking essentially people holding seances for articles and he's instead quite taken aback and impressed by Blavatsky that he ends up writing his article on her and he goes on to encourage articles on her in the daily graphics so through Olcott Blavatsky really starts getting her name out there and they just become BFFs and even have nicknames for each other so Olcott is Maloney and HPV is Jack like what (laughs) i don't know why so they begin living together in a series of rented apartments mostly funded by olcott working as a lawyer Olcott is estranged from his wife prior to meeting HPB, and they do not have any sort of romantic relationship together. They're just best buds and chums, as they refer to each other. He also includes her in his own book on spiritualism, People from the Other World. Again, go Google if you want to. I'm not going to talk about it at all, other than that. They obviously share ideas, and Blavatsky encourages him to become celibate and vegetarian, although she herself couldn't commit to being a vegetarian that's more just thrown in there to show the great contradictions that she is about she sounds very like imposing and this is what you have to do so they go around kind of debunking psychics at the time the last apartment they live in in new york they name the lamasary which they hold seances gatherings discussions of the paranormal journalists would be invited over and they decorate it like very like they go to like curio shops and get like taxidermied animals and rugs and they decorate it really eccentrically like that and they're encouraged by the masters to establish a miracle club in which they facilitate lectures on esoteric subjects in new york It's here they meet William Kwan Judge, who shares many of their interests. And guess what? At a club meeting, September 7th, 1875, all three of them agree to establish an esoteric organization, the Theosophical Society. So here it is. I also just realized that this judge guy never comes up again in the story. So I wonder what happens to him. 
didn't follow up on that myself. So here we have it. Theosophy is created. Theo from the Greek word theos, meaning gods, and Sophia, wisdom, making god wisdom or divine wisdom. Followers would often argue over how to define theosophy, to which Judge said the task was impossible. And I'm going to say I would have to agree with Judge. It's not easy to get easy answer on theosophy just like in the lemuria episode it was very tough just to get a sentence of what it was about hpb i still have a lot more to go <laughs> yeah i can HPB, believe that hpb has described it as not a religion and it is a very wide umbrella which quite a few things can find a place at its very basic essence, it's the idea that all religions have developed from one ancient wisdom. Obviously, there's much more to that. The ideas I lay out here are just very basic, as this episode is on Blavatsky, not theosophy itself, so I'm just going to touch briefly. HPB's writings are a mixture of pretty much every ancient form of wisdom she had encountered. I have a little quote here from historian Nicholas Goodrick Clark from 2008 that says, Blavatsky's writings garnered the materials of Neoplatonism. Renaissance magic, Kabbalah, Freemasonry, together with ancient Egyptian and Greco-Roman mythology and religion, joined by Eastern doctrines taken from Buddhism and Advaita Vedanta, to present the idea of ancient wisdom handed down from the prehistoric times. So basically, it's everything smashed into one. So now HPB gets working on a book outlining her theosophical view, which comes to be called Isis Unveiled, published in 1877. Olcott edited this, and it's written at the home of a professor of English literature at Cornell University. So like I said, she just kind of lives everywhere with everybody. I don't know how you could live like that. <laughs> I mean, She's traveling all over the place. I guess she's just used to it at this point. She claims to be aware of a second consciousness within her body, which she calls the lodger who is in me, who inspired much of the writing. And who doesn't have one of these? Am I right? (laughs) Do you have one? Yeah. Okay. I mean, it really depends on how we're talking about it. She seems to have a very different. Yeah. So maybe good, maybe bad. I don't know about the one that's in you. Essentially, she got this info telepathically from the masters and others. However, it is mostly on text she had a so-called background in. So she kind of pulled from everywhere. And this is where Westerners get their first taste of Eastern religions in the sense of everything. In the West, this was not a thing at this point. So HPB quotes extensively from other esoteric and religious texts, pulling them all together. Olcott insists she quoted from books she did not have access to. It's full of criticism of science, including evolution and religion, and that both paths are missing the real path to enlightenment and insight. It's also where HPB lays out an alternate world history including the root races that's the word that kept escaping me throughout this podcast which i covered in the lemuria episode it criticizes darwin's theory of evolution she claims evolution only dealt with physical and not spiritual realms i'm not going to go into the root races if you want to listen to them go back to the lemuria episode hopefully you've already listened to that because that takes a while to get through in itself So Isis Unveiled says theosophy is the synthesis of science, religion, and philosophy. 
Theosophy is the way of bringing all three of these together and unites the world's systems of beliefs. It was actually a popular book and grew quite a following in the U.S. Thomas Edison even joined up. However, it didn't really sustain itself. And can you guess, Taylor, its most major obvious criticism based on what I said? No standing in the world. That it's direct quoting of over a hundred works of a hundred works without any acknowledgement whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so she, they said maybe she had an eidetic memory. Who knows? She said she like was fed this information through a person within her. So I'm not sure if that's how she got around plagiarism. I don't know. So Blavatsky and Olcott decide to move on. Olcott had obviously tanked his law career otherwise, so they decided to head to India, and that's the place for them. So first, Blavatsky becomes a U.S. citizen in case she needs help from a consulate. This is actually not proved. It's just kind of postulated that that's what she does, and they sell off their stuff. And off they go to India in 1878, settling in Bombay. And by postulate, I mean the why she became a U.S. citizen. She did, in fact, become a U.S. citizen at that time. So they actually go on a mission to India. It's not just leisure. They wanted the Theosophy Society to join up with the Hindu reform movement, the Arya Samaj. 1875. So this was the effort to introduce regeneration and reform to Hinduism in a nutshell. At the time in India, the British were coming over and there was a big push of colonialism and to take out their religion. Olcott and HPB mostly associated with Indians rather than the British and HPB even takes in a 15-year-old servant boy named Bablua. And the Theosophical Society had a major influence on Buddhist modernism and Hindu reform movements, which was kind of weird, but they were all for it. They kind of brought this refreshing kind of breath of fresh air to this movement, being white people coming and saying, yeah, like your religion is good. Essentially. And they start to tour around India and the Theosophist Olcott Blavatsky with Babula championed for Eastern religion in the face of British imperialism and Christianization attempts. So all the while, HPB was monitored by British intelligence being thought that she was a Russian spy. And their popularity in India kind of skyrockets among Indians, however, is very unpopular with the English-speaking British population, obviously. HPB and Olcott set up the Theosophical Headquarters in Bombay in 1879 and started a periodical, the Theosophist. Theosophist branches start popping up all over India, and it actually is most popular in India over North America due to obvious reasons. They're helping to fight against the colonization at the time, like I mentioned, and to put it in the simplest way possible. They gained so much popularity in India, they began being booked at seances, mostly through British society in India. And Blavatsky and Olcott also move into an elite Bombay suburb called Breach Candy, an area mostly accessible to Westerners. So then they're fighting into Ceylon, which is Sri Lanka at the time, where Olcott and Blavatsky publicly take Buddhist vows, and first they were the first Westerners to do so. 
Olcott takes a big interest in Sri Lanka. He contributes in a variety of ways, including opening schools, writing religious study texts, and designing a flag they're still using today. So here they run into Emma Kaloum, who I told you to remember, so hopefully you remember her. HPB had toured around Egypt with and started a small society in which she closed down almost immediately back from maybe 20 minutes ago. And her and her husband are down on their luck in Ceylon, so Vodsky invites them back to India with them to help them out. And she gave them jobs at the Theosophy Society, however, kept them off the board. And there were tensions, and there were other people living in the house with Blavatsky, of course, because she liked to live with other people. Um, actually moved out as the Kalooms annoyed them. So it was her and her husband. Pretty sure I said that. Looms. So around this time, Blavatsky is invited to Simila to spend time with Alfred Percy Sennett. While there, Blavatsky performs some materializations. She liked to do that. One of these materializations, just to give you a taste of Blavatsky, is making a cup and saucer materialize under the soil during a picnic. And this really impressed Senate. So he wanted to contact the masters himself. This is where I get so weirded out because the masters, the way that she talks about them is really like they are otherworldly and they're just people. She lived with them. She traveled around with them. I don't know how they get this otherworldly type of thing about them. Eventually, HPB agrees to this. However, it was it had to be done through her. How this would work would be Senate would ask HPB a question and HPB would sometimes write the question down, sometimes not. She would do dramatic things like throw it out the window or other times she just wouldn't write the question down and sometimes she would just message it telepathically and some of the letters would come via post, others would just appear out of nowhere and just fall on Senate's lap. The basis of the letters were everything you would find in Isis Unveiled, essentially root races, all religions coming from one single ancient source. And there are many criticisms saying that the letters were written by Blavatsky and it's still hotly debated. So these letters themselves are known as the Mahatla letters and Senate publishes them, a summary of them under the name Esoteric Buddhism which obviously is not Buddhist. And so there are claims that one of the letter was plagiarized from a periodical. Others claim the letters were authored by Blavatsky. There's another large number of problems with the letters as well as the publications. Take with it what you will. Really go look at the Mahatma letters if you really want some more insight to them. There's things on either side of them. Even there's some things that aren't answered by critics and are truly just unexplained. Blavatsky's health starts failing and is diagnosed with Bright's disease, which is of the liver. Thinking that the climate might be better for her health, she takes up the offer of the society's Madras branch to move to their city. Eventually, she makes this move and eventually she accompanies Olcott back to Europe to deal with some leadership disputes, first in France and then in London. And in London, she also works with the Society for Psychical Research who wanted to look into her paranormal claims. 
Well, in Europe, all hell breaks loose back in India, and this Theosophical Society accuses the Colums of misappropriating their funds for their own purposes and asks her and her husband to leave the center. So Emma Kalum refuses and comes back in an attempt to blackmail the Theosophical Society with claims of letters written by Blavatsky. The center refuses to pay them and bans them from the center. So in retaliation, Kalum publishes letters in a Madras periodical. So these letters that she claims she has are sent to her from HPB, instructing her to create fake events to support their works including using mannequins and all the parlor tricks HPV essentially is being accused of using during seances and receiving letters from the masters. HPV dismisses these as fakes, however, it is damaging and gets picked up internationally, even being published in London's The Times and the London Society for Psychical Research opens an investigation into Blavatsky and the Theosophical Society with the aid of Emma Kalum. This was quite damaging, as I said, as obviously now what's known as the Kalum Affair. So look more into it. There is way more to this. This is just um, a little bit of a taste of this whole thing. This does draw the attention again of the Society for Psychical Research in London, or SPR. Richard Hodgson turns up in India to investigate this around the time HPV shows back up in India to deal with the Kalum affair. And he actually spends four months investigating the Kalum's claims. Oh, next, the Arya Samaj publicly denounces the duo, saying Theosophy was not in line with the group's ideology and they're untrustworthy and they're charlatans. They were actually handing out flyers and pamphlets at the time uh, when this happened. So, logically, HPB wants to sue the Psychical Research uh, Society, and Olcott wants to just let it die down as to not draw further attention to everything going on, which causes a huge rift uh, between the two, and this ends there, whatever that was. And there is a report that's later retracted by the SPR in 1986, so that's not even that long ago, with a note that many questions brought up by the Hodgson report remain unanswered. However, his findings did appear to be biased towards just wanting to disprove Blavatsky as a fraud. She moves from India in 1885 as her health is deteriorating and she wants a milder climate. She spends time in Belgium. From Belgium on to London, where she establishes the Blavatsky Lodge in London. So she's mostly wheelchair bound by this time and she's living off a pretty decent pension from this Theosophical Society. In 1888 she publishes a magazine titled Lucifer, a Theosophical publication which focused just on the philosophical. I mean I'm not really sure how she came to that title. And then she moves on to The Secret Doctrine um, which is the follow-up to Isis Unveiled and this is the one she's probably most well known for and and it was a comprehensive look at theosophy, less paranormal, more philosophy. So this one mostly focuses on her commentary on the book of Dizian, which she would have read in the secret language Senzar, which she had been taught while studying in Tibet. So Buddhist scholars have examined her book and say this book does not exist. If you Google it, the only thing that comes up is theosophy, this book of 
Dizan, D-Z-Y-D-Z-Y-A-N, Dizan. I don't know. The book discusses ideas of the afterlife and how the universe, the planets, and humans came to exist. Also ideas around souls. So in 1889, she does put out two more books, The Voice of Silence and The Key to Theosophy, and she dies May 8th, 1891, with followers of Theosophy numbering over 100,000 in major branches in London, Paris, New York, and Madras. So did I do it? Uh, I so think that's so. About an hour and a half. Oh, I mean, I think I did it, but I still have a little bit more to say. So, well, I mean, she's still alive, so yeah. What? <laughs> well, like she's still alive. That's what I'm trying to say. She's uh, we're we're doing a biography, are we not? Yeah. <laughs> so, how do oh. those end? Yeah, he died. Oh my god. As I said at the beginning of this episode, did I say that she dies? Now I'm confused by what you said. <laughs> no. She lived in the 1800s. She dies. That's just how it works. So as I said at the beginning of the episode, Blavatsky is credited with bringing Eastern religion to the West. There are some tricky things with her, and not only is it through a Russian lens, but we don't actually know how much exposure she actually had to these religions. You will notice that HPB can be overtly racist. Not that I really pointed out here. I didn't really touch on it, but there are some very, very racist ideas in her books. I just touched on the root races in Lemuria. There are those not included in these races in which she goes into detail about. And I didn't really point it out in these episodes. So... Take with this what you will. She obviously led or led others to believe that she had a life that was greater than life, which you see with a lot of people like this. Some people, like I said, she's very polarized. So there's people that say, yes, this absolutely happened. And other people that do not believe a word of what she said. I'm really just presenting what I had found in my research. And I left a lot of stuff out. So this is really just a brief glimpse at this lady. And whether or not you believe what she did, she did a, a great deal to bring all these great things that I I quite enjoy myself, be it karma, Eastern religions and stuff like that, and those philosophies over to North America. Who did she inspire? As I spoke about in the Lemuria episode, Theosophy claims absolutely no ties to Hitler or the Nazis, even anything racist. They just claim that they're about the brotherhood of humans. However, the connections are there. Theosophy did inspire many other branches of organizations and societies going off Theosophy, which can be tied directly to Hitler. Um, so via Ariosophy, Blavatsky's theosophical ideas contributed to Nazi ideology. And given the popularity of occultism that had been spearheaded by Blavatsky had led to the popularity and creation of German occultism. With the above mentioned Ariosophy, along with what is referred to as the Volkish movement, which was beliefs which included the idea of a natural national rebirth of ancient Germany, which included Germanic paganism, racialism, and romantic nationalism. So this really created a perfect storm blending the two into, among others, the Thule Society. 
And theosophy and the root races were also the inspiration for Rudolf Steiner's anthroposophy, termed as the historical offshoot of the Theosophical Society as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It did inspire some really bad. It did also inspire some good. And a lot more, as I touched on in the beginning of the episode, with the spread of Hindu and Buddhist ideas in the West, as well as the development of Western esoteric currents, such as Ariosophy, Anthroposophy, and the New Age movement. So also... Which really shocked me also was Mahatma Gandhi was introduced in 1888 while studying law in England to theosophy. And theosophists first encouraged him to read the Bhagavad Bhagavad Gita, the Hindu holy text that came to reflect most of his personal philosophy. And he was introduced to HPB in 1889, and he wrote about the influence of her writings in his autobiography. And he does credit HPB and the key to theosophy with inspiring him to read books on Hinduism, which I also thought was really cool. But at the same time, I do think we need to be aware that I, I just find it very weird that we're saying a Western person said be aware of your culture. Yeah. I do think she that wasn't Gandhi Western. She was, might... I mean, I guess at the same time, no, they would she be is the very same Western kind of compared yeah. to India. So yeah. it's just very hard to say that she was the one who taught Gandhi culture. Introduced. I don't, I wouldn't say taught. I don't know that he would even say taught. Introduced it more. He was very worldly. That is my episode on, I think I did well cramming oh God, that all in i was very scared that wasn't gonna fit into no one whole one i don't have any closing thoughts on that that was a crazy ride to put out there after all that time i spent researching her anyhow um, thank you for joining us this week next week yes. we hope to be doing alistair crowley on our continuation of oh cult bye Thank you for listening to Journey to the Fringe. Uh, we are a new podcast, and we would very much so appreciate if you could like, subscribe, share, and if possible, provide a five-star review or some sort of feedback if you feel like there's anything we could be doing better. But five-star review is the best thing you can do for us, as it does help, unfortunately, in the world of algorithms. Yes. Please and thank you. And you can follow us on social media at Journey to the Fringe. We don't have all of them, so try searching it. Instagram, we're on Facebook. Right now we have a subreddit. And if there's anything you want to hear in the future, feedback, anything, you can email us at journeytothefringe at gmail.com. If there's something we're missing that you'd like to see us on, please let us know. We only know what we know. So we're only and in so many places. Also, if you feel that we have gotten anything wrong, please let us know there as well, as we would really like to have the best information possible. We are mm -hmm. only as good as our research. And if you can provide anything further, it's a real help. Or if you want to share anything, we yes. will definitely, we're open to shares. So yes, thank you for listening and we'll see you in the next episode.